Dear God, Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for all that you've done. I pray that you'll guide us and guide our hearts and minds as we open your word this morning. Teach us, and Lord, help us to journey with you. Continue this walk as we know this world is challenging. We know there are things that Satan will put before us, but Lord, you're above all. May our faith not grow weary, but may it grow stronger and deeper as we look forward to the day you come again. We love you, Lord, and praise you, and thank you, and ask these things in your heavenly name. Amen. Um, Friedrich Nietzsche, a famous German philosopher and cultural critic in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Most notably, he was an atheist. Some of you might recognize his name just from that category alone. But he said this, and it posed this question that I want to bring to you today. Is man merely a mistake of God's, or is God merely a mistake of man? Essentially posing this question, is it a mistake for us to believe in God? Are we wasting our, our time believing there is a God that is out there, who, who's not only out, but, but he's alive and active in our lives? Are we wasting our time believing the stories of Scripture, that, that, that the stories of this book, a book of faith? Are we wasting our time truly believing that these stories about the God of this book are real? Scripture is a book of faith. And we need to journey as we understand and, and try to learn and, and, and dive in to understand what God is calling us to. We must recognize that faith is a challenge at times. Can it not be? Faith in God, faith in who he is, who the Bible describes him as, what he can do in our lives can be a challenge. So today I want to ask you this question. How strong is, is your faith? How is your faith this morning? In the world that we live in, how is your faith today? I want to explore this concept because I firmly believe this is one of the things, if not the most pivotal thing, that Satan begins to chip away at each of our lives. If he can get us to cause us to doubt and not believe and struggle in our faith, then how will we stand as a Christian? How will we stand as a follower of Christ? I want to look at one story today, kind of zone in as our home base, and I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, a story of a centurion when Jesus came and had this conversation with this man. He had just previously, as you look through scripture in the book of Matthew, just been speaking um, and sharing the well-known Sermon on the Mount. Thereafter, he began to heal people as well. But he entered in Capernaum, where he came across a century. And I'm going to be reading Matthew 8, starting with verse 5 all the way through 13. Today I'll be reading from the New International Version. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with 
soldiers under me. I, I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and to the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go. Let it be done just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Now, it's this story, just reading through it, it just kind of draws me back. There are several points I'd like to look at, but the first significant point is simply the fact alone that this man, as Jesus noted, had found no one in all of Israel with such great faith as the centurion. I've kind of pondered that thought as I've read this story before, but with such great faith. This is an interesting, this is a a huge claim. I mean, because Jesus has healed, he's done miracles, he's seen the faith of many individuals, but to declare this man has almost essentially the greatest faith of them all that he has seen thus far. So I want to look at this, this man for a moment. Who is this man? Who is this centurion? What is that? A centurion was a Roman officer in the army, probably the equivalent, historians believe, to that of a captain. They would be in charge of a hundred men with the name centurion. Makes sense. And sometimes they were elected to the role, but usually they rose to the ranks after 15 to 20 years of service. And they were in charge of their hundred men. They oversaw the training and developing of these soldiers, often They had complete control of them. They told them exactly what they were to do at whatever times, and they would have to do it. But they rose to the ranks because often of their strong courage. If in battle, they would be the ones that would lead their hundred men. So, understanding this now and coming up to Jesus with a request like this is kind of unbelievable. Most of them led the way in fixing the problems, not humbling themselves and, I can't do this, I can't fix this problem. But his servant, who he cared about dearly, he suffered. He was paralyzed. And he asked if Jesus would go, and Jesus said that he would go, and asked him, basically, well, would you like me to go? And the captain could have stopped right then, but... Jesus, I believe, saw in his heart, in his mind, something deeper. Because the man kept talking. Looking back at verse 8, I want to read through that, 8 and 9. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. A little humility right there. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one to go and he goes. And that one to come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. When I first read this, I was a little confused. I mean, I see his humility there at the beginning. But then he begins to kind of tell Jesus all of his authority and influences that he has. He has the ability to say this and people do it. Look who I am. Is this this kind of a, a private moment where he needs to let Jesus know all that he can do? 
I don't believe it is. Because when I understand and, and look to understand this story and, and see that Jesus sees inside of his heart, there came a point for this captain who has the authority to do so much, had to make a decision. Is this something he could fix? Heal his paralyzed servant? Or is this something that's out of his hands? He has the authority to do a lot of things, but this he could not do. Frank Cope tells this illustration, this story. The Naval Institute where they sent out two battleships out into the waters to do this training exercise. And there were severe storms that were taking place. The fog was heavy as all of a sudden one of the ships through the patchy fog saw a light piercing through the darkness of the night. As the man on the watch out said, hey, signaling are calling to the captain. There is a light bearing there on the starboard side. Captain called out, is it steady or is it moving? The lookout replied, it is steady, which meant they're on a dangerous course. They're on a dangerous course. The captain then called out to the signal man, we'll signal the ship. We are on a collision course. Advise them to change their degrees, change their course 20 degrees. As they, the signal came back, advisable for you to change your course 20 degrees. The captain said, send them this message. I am the captain. Change course 20 degrees. Back came the message. I am a seaman, second class. You better change your course 20 degrees. At that time, the captain was furious. He sped out, send, I'm a battleship, change your course, 20 degrees. Back came the message, I'm a lighthouse, change yours, 20 degrees. There comes a time, friends, when things are out of your control. Some things you don't have the power to do, some things that even if you are in charge of, even if you are the captain, can't fix you can't change i think in this moment as we read this story about the centurion this captain is humbly showing yes he believes that jesus has his power uh, to to reveal excuse me jesus has the power to um, heal his servants Yes, he has earthly power on this earth, this captain does, but ultimately he is revealing his spiritual dependency upon Jesus. <laughs> the captain of the ship could not move the lighthouse. The centurion could not heal this paralyzed man. In other words, I've got the power and courage to do whatever I want or need to on this earth, but this is a spiritual issue. This is something I cannot do. I need you, God. I need you, and I trust you, Jesus. You can do something about this. Friends, have you been in a situation that seems impossible? You realize uh, that something, no matter, no matter how talented you are or how gifted you are or how much money you have, the situation is just out of your hands. This is a Jesus thing. This is something that only he can help me with. Over the last few months of this year, I've sat with a, 
a family whose son has committed suicide. How do you fix a problem like that? You can't. I sat with the young girls whose dad was going to die from cancer, and he did. How do you fix that? You can't. These things are the impossible. But even more, I know there are those who are here, here today that seem they are facing some of the impossible as well. I know there are some who may be struggling with finances and may be questioned each and every day. I know there are some here who may be struggling in their relationships, their marriages, or whatever else may be challenging in their life. I know there are some who are struggling with maybe family members who are making difficult decisions, or you yourself are making difficult decisions, or challenging uh, choices in life. I know there are some who are struggling perhaps even with depression. And how, how do we fix these things? Can we just immediately snap out of them? Some of these things seem like mountains that we cannot move. And yes, there are some things that we can take steps in making good choices to help us make better choices in life. But for many of these things, we ultimately need help from someone, someone who's got this world in his hands, someone who's outside of ourselves. Do you have faith in Jesus? This is where the reality of what we see and know, where science and truth collide with, with faith. Something that is abstract, a, a feeling you could say. Because faith sometimes, as we think about it, is just, it's hard to understand. That's why I love the author of Hebrews who writes in Hebrews 11.1, 1, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of things that we cannot even see. That statement alone is hard to grasp sometimes. Faith has a certainty to it, even though we can't see it, even though we can't touch it sometimes. We have to have certainty in this faith, and that's why it's so hard. For those who are visual, I brought some examples with me here this morning. It's got two jars. This first one got a jar here right is there is there anything in this jar (laughs) yes most people will say no there's nothing in this jar but we know there's what in there oxygen there's air we can't see it but we know it's there right i brought another one this one is filled with what Water. And, okay, very good. Water and air. I can still, you can see the water. All right, as I move it around, if I shake it up, you can see what in there? Bubbles, which is evidence of the air, the oxygen. I like that reminder simply because the fact is we cannot always see air. Jesus even uses the scriptures as, as he was telling Nicodemus, about the Holy Spirit being like the breeze. You don't know where he's going. You can't always see. Your trust is there. We see evidence all around us. And I love what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1. If you're not familiar with this text, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. I love this text because it shares this great challenge for us to understand 
that we can know God is there. And we see evidence all around us, for this is what it says, Romans 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understand what has been made so that people are without excuse. There's evidence all around. We walk outside of this building and we see trees, we see nature, we see God's works all around us. And we are without excuse. God's work is all around us. And I love this illustration. That we may not be able to see God right here, but we can see evidence of him. We know he's there. We can sense his presence. And I know that this man, this centurion, had faith as well. Whether he'd seen or heard Jesus, he'd healed other people before, he trusted that Jesus could do this. He trusted. Jesus asks us to have faith in what we cannot see. He wants us to believe in something we know is there. And sometimes I know we question this because we sometimes ask and naturally feel like, why is it faith, God? Isn't it more something that we should just want to do or that you should be pleased with how we walk or our obedience? And yes, God does want us to be obedient to him. But faith is what it is about. We sometimes ask, why doesn't God want us to be like sometimes these Bible heroes? We, we pattern a life sometimes after them. But these heroes in Scripture are only heroes because of their faith. Bible heroes are only heroes because they trusted God. And despite their, only, their, excuse, despite their own abilities or lack thereof. Hebrews 11 gives us uh, individual after individual of these men of faith. The hall of faith is what we often refer to it as. And they're in this chapter not because of what they did. Because when you start looking at the lives of these individuals who are listed in these incredible heroes of faith, we have liars, we have cheaters, we have murderers, we have adulterers, we have thieves, we have more. And they're in Scripture, noted as men and women of faith. But they're in there because of their faith, not because of what they accomplished. It's because what God used them to do and how God worked through them and their faith in God. Friends, God asks us to have faith because it demonstrates complete and total reliance upon him. When we have faith, we believe he's our creator above everything in this universe, including the ground I walk on, the air I breathe, the life that I live. When we have faith, essentially, we are saying that we believe he has the ability to give and to take away, to do the impossible, and to even change what we know is reality. He has the ability to save us from this darkened world. But in order to do so, to do what is impossible for us to do, we must believe who he is. We must believe that he has the power to do this. And we must believe that he loves each one of us. Friends, faith signifies our complete dependence upon him. What did God tell Abraham? Looking to the Old Testament, to the New, what did God tell Abraham? I will make you a great nation. I will give you a son, even as he was an old man. But Genesis 15, 6 says that Abraham believed 
and it was credited to him as righteousness. Because he believed he was made right with God. It was because of his faith. It was because he believed. And when we flip through the pages of Scripture, go to the New Testament, when Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus, and we read John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. I know that's sometimes what we feel. But it says, but God sent him to save the world through him. What is it that he said? Whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. Should have everlasting life. Faith is the basis of our relationship with God. Faith is the basis of our salvation. I want to go back to our story. The centurion. The centurion in Matthew chapter 8. It's interesting as Jesus replies to this man after he tells him of the authority that he has. Verse 10 through 13, we read, When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and to the west, and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, will be the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Pretty harsh. Interesting. But Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done, just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very moment. Jesus was amazed at this man's faith. Was there really not any people or any other person in all of Israel with such great faith? Why did Jesus reply like this? As I began to study this text, I began to realize that when Jesus was talking about this and replied in this manner, he was describing the condition of many Jews during that day. You see, many Jews thought that they had the right to heaven just because of who they were. They were special. They were chosen people of God. They were descendants of Abraham, promised by God. They felt they had the right to the kingdom just because of who they were. Now, who was this centurion? He was a Roman. He was a Gentile. He had not been promised anything. Yet, his faith forged through the muck of the religious, of the Jewish religious tradition. He placed his faith firmly on this man, Jesus, because he believed Jesus could do something about it. His place or position, his nationality, did not stop him from believing that Jesus could do something. Friends, this may hit home to each one of us a little bit. There may be some of us, and I'm going to include myself in on this, who sometimes may feel like we are the Jewish traditionalists. Before we think of someone else, we need to look at ourselves and ask God to help convict our hearts and minds. Would Jesus say about us, I have not found anyone in the walls of the church with a great faith as who? That police officer in Ringgold. That woman who is at the grocery store, 
that homeless man. You see, sometimes we as Christians sometimes feel that we have rights or the inside track to God over others. We feel we may have been closer to God compared to someone else because we've walked longer with God. We may, may know more of the Bible than someone else. We may have read more times, had our daily devotions, whatever it is. Yes, those are important things to grow with God. We need to spend our time with God. But the basis of where it comes down is our faith. Do we believe in Jesus? Do we believe that he has the power as he spoke and this world came into existence? That he could speak and change whatever obstacle we are facing in our life. Friends, faith is the key to our journey through this life. In John chapter 6, when people came to Jesus, and they said, and this was our scripture reading today, what is the worth that God requires? Jesus could have answered a lot of things, but what did he say? The work that God requires is this, to believe in the one that he sent. You want to know what God requires of us? Believe in Jesus. And then as your faith begins to grow deeper and deeper in Jesus, I believe your life will be transformed as you'll become a witness to other people as well. The challenge is great before us, but I like to think of it this way. The last couple of years, my family summer vacations goes to the beach. Many of you like, may like to go to the beach as well. I've got three boys. My youngest is in second grade this year. My oldest, eighth grade. Got a sixth grader as well. But as my older boys, as we arrived at the beach and had the sunscreen on, they're excited about going out into the waters. They jump out into the waves. They splash. We don't worry about them as much because they're bigger, right? But my second grade son, a couple years ago, even first grade or kindergarten, Kind of have to watch him a little bit. But he wants to be like his brothers because he sees them splashing out into the water, diving into the waves with their goggles on, enjoying the time. He doesn't want to sit on the beach. He wants to go out into the water. But guess what? Mom and dad, self and my wife, no, we need to be there with him. He thinks he's a big boy. <laughs> but we know the waves are bigger than him at times. So I remember walking out there with him as we journeyed out there. I'm like, well, I've got to be right by you, my son. And, and he kind of looks back at me and gives me a, no, you, I want my space. You go. I'm going to go with the big boys. I'm a big boy. Okay. So I kind of walk a little bit close, but give him a little space as he kind of steps into the water, as the water comes up around him, and the small waves come up beside him up to his knees as we venture out. I need, to, I need to be right by you. No, 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 no. As he gets there and he looks over me, I don't know, something distracts him, but all of a sudden a wave comes and crashes upon him, knocking him off his feet. I'm right there behind him. But he stands up, reaching for my hand, spitting out the salt water, knowing that he just got knocked off his feet. The beach is not as fun when that happens. But guess what happened after that? He still wants to go out but he's reached up for my hand now. I want to go out, but I'll hold your hand. 
as the two of us navigate out a little farther as we get close to where his older brothers are. I begin to think, how much is that like us in our journey with God? We sometimes want to navigate through life on our own. We sometimes like, no, God, I'm good. I've got this. I know, I know you're right back there, but I'm good. I'm good. Sometimes it takes a wave to knock us over in life to realize, no, no, what I need to be doing is holding your hand through this life. And Jesus wants to journey with us through each and every step. He wants to be holding our hand through the storms of this life. Whatever may come our way, yet sometimes we're so independent we want to do it on our own. But he said, no, have faith in me. I'm walking right beside you. And when waves come, I'm going to hold you through the storms. Friends, we need to hold Jesus' hand. We need to have the faith that he's right there knowing and trusting that he's going to help us whatever storm we face. So a challenge for each one of us is trust Jesus. May your faith grow strong in him. This world is challenging. We know that. But hold to Jesus' hands because he wants to be right there with us through this journey of life.